Hey, listeners, just a quick reminder, we're here to entertain and educate. You know, we discuss medical topics, and yes, we have a licensed doctor, but it's not a substitute for personalized medical advice. So for any health care concerns, consult your primary care physician or a local health care provider. Now, let's dive in and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Bedside Manor, where we explore the world of medicine and health with a little bit of humor and education. I'm Eric Moore, life and leadership coach with my co-host. Dr. Robert Clem, back again. Good to be with you. Yeah. You know, in 2011, I was getting ready to train for a couple of marathons, and I came across this sort of esoteric movement called the quantified self. You know, this is this idea that you could put on a bunch of wearables and Go talk to nutritionists and learn about all these really crazy metrics about your body. And I learned about, you know, my glucose and certain foods that I eat that I could determine how long I can run and under what conditions. And I learned about my liver panel. But, you know, I'm kind of weird in that way. I'm kind of inquisitive by nature. And <laughs> so you're one of those. Huh? <laughs> what does that mean? One of those. Those are one of the ones that, you know, when I see your name on the schedule in the morning, I kind of cringe. It's like, oh, it's Eric. No, it's all it's all good. And, um, you know, there we often get the question of, you know, they'll be like, you know, hey, doc, I'm going to I need to ask you something. I know it's kind of stupid. And, you know, you're usually obligated to say, oh, no, it's fine. There are no stupid questions. But you know what? There really are some stupid questions out there, but um, but I think, uh, you know, this probably is a good time to be able to talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think well, in the spirit of that, uh, we are a safe place. But, yeah, we have to admit sometimes there are some stupid, silly, you know, odd questions that we get. And today we're going to share some questions from our listeners, from people who write in from the area. And then, of course, Robert, you're going to share some questions that you've heard. From your patients, obviously, we're going to protect their identity, of course. But one question that really came in from Bill in Everett, and I think he was doing this in, in the spirit of fun, but he said, can we develop a reality TV show called Diagnosis Dash, <laughs> <laughs> where parents compete in diagnosing their children's mysterious ailments using nothing but WebMD and wild guesses? It sounds like that's a race against medical accuracy. Does that sound like something you encounter? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is my day in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, do tell. The, the, the battle against Google. Uh, if it was just WebMD, it probably wouldn't be too bad. But it's uh, uh, Google can be a nasty place and a, and a weird hole for uh, people to find themselves in, particularly when they're trying to figure out what's going on with their kids. But that would be an awesome show. Uh, Diagnosis Dash. I just like the idea of parents competing against each other in their own stupidity. <laughs> would what would hilarious. that look like? Uh, we could put a rash, you know, and say, <laughs> I'll show a picture of a rash. And uh, you have 30 seconds. Okay. It's like a flashcard. Yeah. You have 30 seconds to tell me what that rash is. You can use any resource on the internet you want. <laughs> Right. And so they would be they would be on Google and and they would sort of what take a picture of it or, and then say, oh, this is what kind of rash. And then right. you would be in your expertise, be like, 
uh, yes, you got it right, and you're <laughs> no, not getting kicked off be, the island. <laughs> it would be more likely. Really? You think your three-year-old has herpes? <laughs> That's the best you can come up with. <laughs> hey, <No. laughs> you know, I've heard strange things of that nature, and I don't know if you've heard this, but that the uh, uh, during a circumcision, the moil, mm-hmm. that w- in old school times, they would use their teeth to, <laughs> to get the foreskin off and, and in doing so would pass herpes off to the baby. You know, <laughs> once again, if you're on my schedule, I would cringe. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning me particularly, yes. folks, not not the other person. <laughs> oh. um, I suppose that would be a possibility. <laughs> Luckily, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get to some some actual, you know, real questions. Uh, I think when it comes to, you know, parents bringing in their kids, you know, at some points they're probably not thinking straight. They're freaked out and they're probably going to ask some silly questions. Yeah. They're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tired. Makes for some interesting conversation. Yeah. So one area that I'm always interested in are orifices. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> You, but we have lots but. of them <laughs> that might not have been the first orifice that I was thinking of. We have a couple on our faces. Yeah. So, Although, you know, youngsters are anally fixated. Freud told us that already. So it's probably the first orifice that they deal with. Yeah. Tell us. Well, you know, there's this whole idea of sort of pleasure and poop. Mm. Um, and you know, if you ever watch the expression on a baby when they're pooping, there's no doubt that there's probably some pleasure involved. And so, you know, could there possibly be not only just sort of exploration of, you know, orifices that, you know, they want to touch or they put things into, um, just because they're trying to figure out what's what, you know, but is, you know, this idea that maybe it feels good too, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know why, but it happens all the time that, Kids want to put things in places that they shouldn't be, whether it's their nose or their mouth or their ears or their butt or whatever it is, but they surely do do it. And it can create some, uh, you know, some difficult situations at time to try and uh, either get these darn things out um, or teach parents, uh, you know, some safety measures of how to avoid that. Ugh. You know, I'd be careful with Freud because, you know, he did use his orifices a lot, you know, putting cocaine up his nose. (laughs) (laughs) But I so let's get back to that, though. Do they just the parents immediately come in and go, okay, little Rebecca or Johnny put it up there or or do they are they timid about? No, I think parents freak out about stuff, you know, usually like that. Um, depending on kind of where it is, um, and the discomfort level of the kid. Uh, so the most common one probably is either the ear or the nose, um, with little kids who put, you know, like little beads or toys or food or, you know, something, um, and it hurts. Um, and so now the kids are upset and they're, they're brought in sometimes because we now use electronic health record systems and a lot of parents and patients are connected sort of via the patient portal, they can send in pictures. Um, and oh, so sometimes right, right. the first thing that I get is just this message that comes across with this very bizarre looking, 
usually ultra zoomed up, oh, you know, no. you know, photograph of something. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm even looking at. Um, and all I can see like is this round red thing in something. Um, and invariably we're just like, you know, you just got to bring them in. We got to look and see what's going on. Oh my goodness. I could not imagine receiving a photo like what you're describing seems like you, you, you can't discern what it is, but have you received an image where you're like, Oh, yep. Uh, I know exactly what that is. And I think I will skip lunch today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cause often they don't just send one image. Um, it's their entire photo roll uh, <gasps> from their phone that comes with it. But, um, at, at a certain point, you know, we have to decide, is this something that can be managed, uh, in an outpatient office like mine or do they need to go to an emergency room or something like that? Because sometimes these can be quite serious, uh, depending on the size and, and where these are or how easy it is. I mean, if it's far enough up the nose or in the ear, we may, you know, and if it's a little kid, they're not going to be able to just sit there still while you're trying to get this out. So they may right. need some sort of sedation or anesthesia or something to start trying to get them out. Luckily, most of the time they're close enough uh, to the surface that we can get them. Okay. Uh, you know... We wouldn't be an inquisitive and funny and stupid show if I didn't ask, what's the strangest item you've had to pull out of an orifice of a child? <laughs> Thank you for qualifying that. We'll save the adult for a different show. Yes. Um, I mean, the most common are little beads, you know, that kids will string necklaces with and things like that. I think one that jumps out at me once is I had like, you know, those little mini Lego People, yes. like the little Star Wars characters. Well, I once had a little Princess Leia stuck up a nose oh. um, that was kind of far wedged up there. Um, and luckily, because it has lots of little pieces sticking out, arms and legs and things like that, yeah. it's easy to grab with a forcep and get out. The tough ones are the beads because they're smooth and round. Mm. And uh, sometimes you can use like a little suction device, you know, to kind of um, attach to it and pull it out. But um, but probably the little Lego guy or girl, I guess, at that point yeah. might have been w one of the more strange ones. Kids don't put so many odd things in their body as adults do. It's just whatever they happen to have around. <laughs> <laughs> odd things as adults do. But yeah, let's save for that one. <laughs> but in general, how, how old are the children roughly that are putting? Two or three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's move on to another question. Um, this next one comes from Maria in Linwood. And just for those of you listening, Linwood's a town inside, outside of Seattle area. But this is one I've been wanting to ask, and I kind of know the answer, and I, I think it's a stupid question. <laughs> but you're going to ask it anyway. I am, but it there. let's just qualify it. There's times where I want to, I've wanted to shake my own mom and say, no, this is not true. So you're Can gonna, my, you're going to shake Maria? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Maria, if you're listening, but I would do this to my own mother when I was a kid. Can my child catch a cold from being outside without a jacket? It's amazing how common that is, isn't it? Yeah. Catch a cold from being cold. I, I'd like to know actually the uh, pathophysiology of how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> the patho what? <laughs> Does that mean they're actually running outside trying to catch a cold? Hey, cold, I'm going to catch you. I know. Seriously. <laughs> Can you catch a hot if you're in the hot? Yes. You know? Um, no. You cannot get sick purely from being in the cold. Wait, you heard it here fo first, folks. <laughs> On bedside manner. Please continue. <laughs> 
I mean, it could feel bad, I guess, to be in the cold. You know, maybe if you were in the cold for an extended period of time without a good coat, and I don't, <laughs> even then, I can't really think of a, of a mechanism. You know, you could try and imagine, does it somehow impair your immune system so you might be more susceptible or something like that? I think where it really comes from is that, yes, in the wintertime, particularly in a climate like Seattle, maybe not so much if you're down in southern United States or in warmer areas. Mm. Um, but up here, where the winters get chillier, everybody goes inside. You don't play outside as much. You're inside in schools and we're inside in work. And um, and so we're in much more close, intimate contact with each other. And when that happens, it's easy to spread germs. Uh, you cough, you sneeze, whatever it might be, these airborne viruses and bacteria can cause an infection. But by simply being outside in the cold, um, whether you're wearing a coat or not, you might get frostbite, you might get other things, but you're not going to get some sort of infectious disease by simply just being in the cold. So it's really the germs that give you the cold. Right. Yes. So a cold okay. is a viral infection, usually by like the viral rhinovirus infection. or some other virus, even essentially now with uh, the most recent strains of COVID, you mm -hmm. know, they all behave like upper respiratory viruses. So whether it's flu virus, one of the many cold viruses, COVID viruses, these are all, you know, infectious upper respiratory infections that are spread either through airborne particles or sometimes by touch. And, you know, people touch something and then put their hands to their mouth or nose or something like that. And and kids it. never do that. Of course not. That's why schools are the, you know, the cleanest place there are. There's never infections spread in preschools yeah. or regular schools. Um, but no, it's not from being cold out and going out there and, and getting sick. Yeah. Okay. All right, Maria. Sorry, yeah. mom. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. So then let's get into the dreaded word vaccine. Is it normal for my child to have a fever after receiving a vaccine? Wow. Vaccine hesitancy um, is huge right now. Um, and it got incredibly politicized, of course, during the COVID outbreak early on. And so it's a really hot topic often uh, in my office uh, with parents and adults. Uh, yeah. You know, should I get this vaccine? Should I not? Some people are extremely opinionated about them well before they even walk in the door. But the question of, can you get a fever uh, from a vaccine? Absolutely. So when you are getting a vaccine, depending on the type of vaccine uh, you're getting, it's essentially sort of trying to create memory cells in your immune system so mm. that if you're exposed to whatever that infectious entity might be in the future, that your body can mount uh, a good immune response and fight it off quickly before you get sick. And so when that vaccine is given to you, whether it's in a shot form or an oral form or a nasal spray form, um, and your immune system gets a little bit activated to make these memory cells, that sometimes can make you feel a little sick. No, know? I think you misheard me. Do you get a fever when you hang out with my ex-girlfriend, Maxine? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really did mishear you. <laughs> no, but you, please continue. But yes, and... You know, I didn't mean COVID, the vaccine, but just in general, the vaccine, you know, can cause the fever. Yeah, because, any of them can. Yeah, any yeah. Of them can. Whether it's a flu vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, polio vaccine, oh, yeah. you know, all of them um, potentially can make you feel a, a little under the weather for, you know, maybe a day or so um, and, and maybe run a little bit of low-grade fever. 
Um, and some people do have adverse reactions to vaccines. I mean, it happens with anything. And they may run a higher fever or have other symptoms that could be more serious. But for the vast majority of people, um, and kids included, um, they tolerate them extremely well. And the benefit that you get by you know, preventing potentially life-threatening illnesses is huge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Maxine, you, you still caused me a fever. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to meet vaccine. I mean, Maxine. <laughs> <Yeah>. Vaccine. <laughs> well, and uh, I think within that space, you know, fevers, what else? Like rashes are pretty big in your, your space too, right? Like, so yes. um, let's see who wrote in here. I think this is Stephen from Enumclaw. My child has a rash, so it must be an allergic reaction, Right. I don't know. What do I you think? I don't know. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Should we start that whole diagnosis dash <laughs> thing <absolutely>. again? <laughs> um, allergic reaction rashes, they're pretty common, but there are a million different things that can cause a rash, particularly in a child. You know, we were just talking about viruses. Yeah. Um, viruses can cause rashes. We call them viral exanthems. And um, so it sounds like a cool band name. The viral exanthems. Yeah. It sounds heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, typically we know some, you know, some viral infections are known to cause rash, like chickenpox. You know, it's going to cause a widespread ah. rash. Measles, yeah. you know, will cause a, you know, a widespread rash. But even common colds and other, you know, mild infections will cause rashes uh, on babies and kids' faces and their arms and legs, little red dots and stuff all over the place. Typically, if it's going to be an allergic rash, um, you're going to be seeing something like a hive um, you know, kind of like if you had gotten bit by a mosquito or a bee or something like that, that sort of welt kind of looking thing that you might see on your skin. Mm. Um, but there are other allergic rashes too, that can just be little red blotchy scaly things, everything from food allergies to other environmental allergies that can cause skin reactions. Um, but there's lots of things that can cause rashes. You know, the vast majority of them are probably not allergic. They're either infectious or some other type of metabolic issue going on to cause a rash. Woo! You calmed my nerves on that one. <laughs> hope hope we did for you too, Stephen. <laughs> so as we we think about some of these questions, you know, they they can feel pretty scary, but it's important to just get them out and ask them anyway. Of course. And so what are some other silly or odd questions that we should think about that you've heard that yeah, they feel weird, but let's ask it anyway. You know, probably most of them have to do with, um, you know, if we're dealing with kids. Yeah. You know, the most common thing I think that parents worry about with their kids isn't necessarily infections and rashes and things being stuck in places that they shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, it's about, you know, is my kid developmentally normal? You know, mm. are they growing normally? Are they acting normally? Are they learning normally? And, um, and so, you know, we're always looking, you know, when, when someone brings their child in for like a well child check, a normal checkup, we are comparing them to norms. Um, and so we look at growth charts. Are you gaining weight normally? Are you growing your height normally? Is your head circumference normal? And, you know, is that a sign? And of course, as soon as I show that, you know, mom and dad are always like, why is my kid so short? He needs to be a basketball player. You oh, know? right. Uh, I'm yeah. six foot two. Why is my child, you know, in the 
only the 15th percentile for height or something like that with these yeah. kind of strange demands as to, you know, what influence we can have, you know, should we... Like they're there, a dish on a menu to be ordered. Yeah. And, and what can they do to change that? Yeah. And uh, often when I try and explain, you know, particularly when it comes to height, that it's pretty much purely just based on genetics and you're not going to have any influence at all. Mm. Um, they don't like that. You know, they're like, well, can we do exercises? Can we stretch them? Can we give them <laughs> shots? Can they see an orthopedic surgeon and have their legs lengthened? Or, you know, the bizarre stuff that we get when it comes to, you know. Wow, lengthening. Yes. Can we lengthen them? Like um, like a rack from the medieval times. Exactly. Wow. You know, okay. I often bring that example. Seriously? Is that is that what you want? Um, <laughs> and so we often circle back around to acceptance of your child as they are you know whatever their aptitudes or physical abilities might be sure you know they are who they are just like you are Mm -hmm. and so uh, you have to uh, to come to acceptance that they're going to have you know their own abilities that are phenomenal and you know they're not going to be as good at other things as others and and we just have to go with it yeah but it does beg the question of you know i know we bandy this word around normal but how do you have that discussion of I don't know the right word, but like they're moving in a the correct direction. Sure. I mean, normal is is normal. I mean, it's not a, I think, a bad word per se. Yeah. Uh, in this sense, in medicine, typically we call them developmental milestones. Milestones. Um, yeah. Okay. And so we're looking at what those are. You know, are you forming sounds at the right time? Are you walking at the right time? Are you socially engaged with other kids and people at the right time as we screen for things like autism or other developmental delays that, you know, that could be happening because just like anything in medicine, the earlier you can catch something, uh, the more likely it is that we can do something about it uh, and get services to surround those kids and families that might help or fix something if it's something that's treatable. And so normal, I mean, I guess it has a weird connotation that somehow if you're not normal, that there's something wrong with you. Um, but you also have to understand that people's bodies and their you know, internal organ mechanisms, everything that happens, your blood test results that you might get from something, they all fall within sort of a, a bell-shaped curve. There's a normal average height for adults. There's a normal average white blood cell count for people. And so just because it doesn't necessarily fall within that immediate normal range, so to speak, doesn't mean that you're abnormal. You know, in a bell-shaped curve, it just means that a certain percentage of people are going to be within that, the most common. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are short people, there are tall people, you know, there are people with blood tests that are a little bit outside of the norm, and that's okay, uh, as long as it's taken within clinical context. You know, not everybody's the same. And so we have to understand that. And as it comes back to sort of developmental milestones, Sometimes it's, you know, it's just a, an initial trigger to say, hey, you know, let's take a little closer look at that. Let's do some additional testing, make sure everything's fine. And if it's not, then move on with what we need to do. But most of the time, you know, it's sort of take a, a watch and wait approach and the kids do OK. Yeah, because I, I think it's healthy to have that discussion about normal because there's enough patterns mm-hmm. in human history to go. You generally want to be here in terms of height, auditory, visuals. But if you're not, it's okay. But let's, we need to have that discussion is what I'm hearing you say. It's like, great. 
you're doing great in these areas, but let's watch out for, you know, weight gain or, oh, I'm noticing you're not hearing as well as X, Y and Z people do. And so we need to watch for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we look at gross motor skills, which is, you know, your ability to kind of move your arms and legs and your whole body you know, walking and things like that. We look at fine motor skills, you know, particularly in little kids. Can they transfer a little object from one hand to the other? Or can yeah. they do things that they should be? Uh, they're all early signs that we're looking at to see, are they sort of marching along this, you know, quote unquote, normal uh, path um, so that we can make sure that, you know, they're doing what ultimately will lead them into a healthy life. It also comes a lot with social and emotional uh, development as well. Those can be sometimes harder things to, to measure. Um, there's no lab test per se, and sometimes there's not a lot of physical exam findings to suggest that. So the questions that we ask parents are much more targeted about sort of what's their facial expressions, what's their interaction with other kids and adults. Do they like to play? Are they, you know, do they enjoy kind of game times and free times, or are they more just kind of isolating and don't want to be with other kids and things like that. So uh, there's a lot of different things that we look at um, along the way. And you're right. You can do fabulous in, in one thing and not necessarily in another. Uh, nobody's, you know, just knocking it out of the park, so to speak, on every single aspect. And, and we're not looking for excellence. Uh, we're looking for those that are lagging so that we can help them. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember where we are not all knocking it out of the park. You know, and that's why I like to use a little bit of humor with my body, at least <laughs> in some of these questions. And so here's one. They did not want to leave a name, but and I think I know why. <laughs> Great. Because they ask, you know, can't we create a parental exemption for the five second rule so we as parents can enjoy those snacks that fall on the ground guilt free? Don't, don't germs build character? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a tough one because it's sort of what would I tell people versus what do I do myself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like what we do with the kids. Mm -hmm. Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. But like I, I, I think this is kind of bubbling up in some of the controversy around, you know, going out and playing and being around certain germs. Like how, how do how do we have that conversation by, you know, building up our, quote, character through germs and being outside and playing instead of huddled up around a tablet or video games for our kids? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, we I think we saw or are seeing um, a really good manifestation of that right now as we have come out of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Um, and that was masking. Um, and so, you know, for a long time, for a few years, we were wearing masks, you know, all the time to help prevent getting infected uh, from the COVID virus or from spreading the COVID virus infection. And during that time, you know, one of the byproducts that we saw in our offices is that there were a lot less sick kids and people, um, not only from COVID, but from other infections in general, um, because cold viruses and other types of viruses you know, weren't able to be spread. And also if you're wearing a mask and there's something that drops on the floor or whatever, you're not going to be able to pick it up so easily and put it in your mouth because you got a mask in the way. Uh, and so you're not going to get an infection that way as well. The flip side, you know, that's, I think is, you know, not a bad question to ask is 
okay, well, that's great. You know, we didn't get all these infections, but doesn't exposure to infections help build our immune system so that we can fight them better over time? Mm. Um, and so I think that comes back a little bit to, you know, is it okay if this thing drops on the floor for me to put it in my mouth? Probably not, um, <laughs> you know, because there's going to be, you know, I mean, do you have dogs? Yeah, you know, sure. And all right. sorts of stuff around Probably that. Probably don't want to eat my dog's you know, footprints around. <laughs> you know, but um, for the most part, obviously, we all survive. We've all done it. Our yeah. kids do it. Um, it's not going to usually cause serious illness, but yeah. it could. Um, but the flip side would be, no, it doesn't necessarily build character, but can it help build your immune system to some degree mm. and help fight future infection? Now, I, I would never encourage parents to just like, drop stuff on the floors for their kids sure. to then pick up and eat. Um, <laughs> but it's probably not as bad as we may think. Yeah. That, so that five second rule, I don't know who came up with that. I, <laughs> I thought it was two. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing You're extending it extending to five. Totally. Like I'm hearing <laughs> 10 seconds and now I hear it's Mississippi's are added to it. <laughs> I thought it was just rushing the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One Mississippi, two Mississippi. <laughs> but I think the, you know, in part, this question is it's loaded in the sense that I think the person just wants to eat food off the floor because <laughs> they're seeing their kids do it. But also just the, the notion of, yeah, well, we need to build up our, our immune system in multiple ways. Yeah, and that's so, probably not the way I would encourage you to do it. Um, right. But right. living life normally and interacting, yes. you know, with everybody you're going to get plenty of exposure, you know. I mean, if you've if you've ridden a light rail or a bus around the Seattle area, that is probably more than picking something up off the floor and eating it. Uh, amount you know that you're going to be exposed. So, you know, live and learn. Well, all right. Well, let's leave it there. Listen, uh, keep those questions coming in. I think next week we'll try to focus on some of the oddities that happen with adults, less than the kids. Uh, there's a new term that I've been learning. It's called panis. And I think Robert's going to share with us the the large skin apron that is a panis and some experiences he has with that. It's a serious topic, but I think we can have a little fun with it and explore what it means. So, Doc, anything else you want to share before we wrap? I think we're good. Panis is a, is a coming. All right, everybody. We'll see you in traffic.